On this week's edition of Getting Tossed, the boys are back, Sands McInerney, and we're talking about the greatest championship in all of sports. It's the World Series. That's right. It's here. It's going on right now. Be prepared for some live updates. Some live, some even delayed. Who knows? Next, we're going to jump into a really wild weekend of college football that saw a couple of upsets and probably the greatest college game day location in game day history. Touch on some of the awesome NBA, or excuse me, NFL trades that have occurred over the past week, which is a rarity for that league, but it's been more active than I can remember. And then NBA started. Go figure. So we're going to get right into it. Wednesday, it's October 24th, but just pretend this is Tuesday and pretend that game one of the World Series hasn't happened, but it has. <laughs> Guys, can you believe that this is our, this is, this is episode 30, by the way, I'm getting tossed. This is 30? This is episode 30. The dirty 30? Big, big milestone. You know what? Jesus was crucified at the age of 30, so I don't know if that debodes too well for us, but. Oh boy. 30 is a big number. Well, maybe, maybe like Jesus will come back from the dead. Right, so he came back from the dead, so our podcast can only get better from here. Perfect. Uh, a ministry started, and uh, it's called the Catholic Church. Ever heard of it? <laughs> so our podcast is going to be going nationally syndicated. For hundreds and hundreds of years like the Catholic Church? I'm, I'm uh, all about that. Dozens and dozens. They're called the Disciples. Try again. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyways, on to more important sports things. Guess what? The World Series is going on. Our boy Caleb over here, Caleb Reyes, is in tune he is watching we already had game one and i don't think that it disappointed by any means or measures uh game one did not disappoint as a red sox fan um the sale kershaw vaunted battle that was uh hyped up pre-game did did leave a little bit to be desired in regards to them both going um less than five innings and um and giving up a couple of runs but i mean honestly it was um it was Great to see the Red Sox come out and score score some runs off of Kershaw early and then uh, kind of put it away there uh, in the latter half of the game in the seventh, I think it was, with the pinch hit home run from uh, Nunez, who uh, I have been barking to get out of the lineup as much as I could this postseason. So um, credit to him for, uh, you know, being ready when his number was called and the you know, seeing this the first pitch he sees and um, trying to and hitting it over the monster. It's going to be a hell of a series, but uh, ultimately, I think uh, I, I think the Sox will pull it out. All right, so I've got a I've got a question, and I think the Sale Kershaw matchup is kind of what spawned this for me. But do we? Okay, so as sabermetrics becomes more and more prevalent, we get into more data driven decisions by managers. Do we get away from the days of a Tom Glavin throwing a complete game, a John Smoltz throwing a complete game, and in these like ALCS, NLCS, World Series matchups, and even if an ace has gone five or six, and it's a one nothing game, and they get into a little bit of trouble, do we start to see them get away from them letting them go deep into games and starting to pull them for relievers a little bit? like a, Basically, just a shorter leash in general. 
No, I mean, I think you've already started to see that. I think that's been the case for about two years now, uh, starting with uh, Andrew Miller in Cleveland, you know, really starting the bullpenning thing. Um, it's definitely the case, especially when you get into the later innings and managers like to dictate the matchups more. Um, but, you know, spinning off of that, we're definitely turning in. It's definitely turning into a true three outcome type of sport. Whereas, right. you know, when you reference the Glavin Maddox, you know, those guys are pitching to contact and hitters are, are trying to make contact as opposed to, launch lift and, and hit bombs you know yeah. that's that's kind of a three outcome thing and so you know when you have that true three outcome of either home run strikeout uh you know it's it's, it's that's going to be more pitches so uh more pitches less innings um and then you know i think you're starting to see too with the tommy john stuff that we're the um the kind of hot button you know injury is the tom is uh the ucl sprain and pitchers having Tommy John left and right almost it's uh it's starting to you know show that less wear and tear on that arm can not uh, prove not only valuable for uh for the pitchers but also for the uh for the score box well and then so and then do you think another piece to this and, and this is just me speculating is if managers set that expectation with their starters going into it so you got a guy like sale who when he's right is dialing it up 95 96 right do you think if they set the expectation with their starters, like, hey, man, I need you to give me five strong innings this, tonight, you've got a guy who normally is like low to mid-90s who maybe dials it up a little bit knowing he's not going to have to try and go as long and has given you maybe 95 right in the like mid to upper. And they set the expectation and you get a little bit more juice out of the starters when they're not – they know they don't have to try and throw eight, nine innings. Um, you know, I think what you're going to see is – um, if you do that is the biggest thing for as a manager from a manager's perspective is you want your pitcher to do what they're comfortable with. So if they're comfortable dotting inside, outside, changing location, changing speed, you know, staying at 92, maybe every now and then when they have to bump it up to 94 uh, or dropping it down to 89, that's, that's what you want. You want your pitcher to be comfortable because comfort equals success. And I think ultimately you're not want to, going to want to put your pitcher in a position where he doesn't feel comfortable. So um, I, I think it's, I think I see what you're getting at in the sense of well you're not you we don't want you we don't need you for seven we need you five and we need you to give me everything you got for five um but at the same time you don't want them to change their game plan based off of that so um I, it's i i don't think we're too far off of that though what from what you're saying is is that you know um are we going to start seeing starters going you know less than five innings more and more and more and more it's crazy well, to think saw- see, like nolan ryan was throwing complete games throwing 200 pitches Right. A single start and now, like I mean, if you, yeah if, if you're getting if you're getting to 100 pitches now it's like you're, you're at your max you know you're coming out of the game it's i think every like it's not i don't think it's just one factor and it's just uh, there's so many different things have have changed the way the game is right now well that was before gmos and the food system so think about it no one had a much more well-established diet going into his games <laughs> just, just a bunch of red meat Watch a Texas red meat. But I mean, think about too. Uh, you know, this kind of goes into a, a different, a, um, a different thing. Is that you know those kind of those guys grew up being three sport athletes: baseball, basketball, football, playing multiple sports, having different seasons, giving their arms. You know, to you know, a, a third of the year off as opposed to a hundred percent on. Whereas you're starting to see a lot of specialization and and travel baseball year round baseball. That's just more wear and tear on these arms. So and and that's what everyone's looking at, especially as expensive as uh, or how much money that these organizations are investing in these players is that you know you they're assets and you want to. Um, right. 
and and you want to you make sure you're you're uh, getting as much out of the, out of your asset per dollar as you can. Yeah, and you've got you've got like I mean, shoot, even when we were growing up, I was spinning off curveballs at the age of twelve. I mean, you got kids throwing Barry Zito breakers, you know, <laughs> and they're not even close to fully developed uh, from a muscle standpoint, and they're not even in throwing programs and all that kind of stuff. So I think that definitely has an impact on the wear and tear. Um, and you know, at the little league level, they've done some regulation of all that, so. Um, I think that's good too. Absolutely. So, uh, um, you know, that, that being said, I think again, you know, Kershaw's one of the greatest, um, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, but he now has, um, more starts than anyone in postseason history of five plus earned runs. And Derek, you had texted us beforehand saying that Kershaw was going to dominate both of his starts. <laughs> what, uh, what were your, what were your thoughts, uh, from yesterday's game? Yeah, I thought he was going to have a good start. He's looked good this postseason. He dominated game one of the World Series last year, going seven or eight with 11 Ks. Um, I just thought, you know, he he looked good those last two starts in the postseason. Thought he'd carry it over, especially, you know, with them being in the World Series last year. Um, I'm sure they have, you know, just a ton of motivation this year to go out there and get it. And I was I was disappointed. But overall, I think – the game was awesome, but definitely the duel between him and Sale both was was underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, Sale was through like eighty pitches through I don't know three innings or something. I mean, they were both. Neither one of them had their best stuff, um, but overall, I mean, it still made for a great game. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, without a, without a vested rooting interest, you know, for a baseball like a, a good baseball fan, that is, it was exciting, entertaining the whole time, wasn't boring. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you're a Red Sox or Dodgers fan, you don't. I mean, you don't care necessarily if your starter goes four or five or eight or nine. You know, you just want to see a win. However, like as a baseball fan, I would have loved to have seen a six or seven inning duel between Sale and Kershaw. It yeah, didn't happen that way. But at I mean, any rate, Kershaw was out there getting work in at midnight. The you know yeah the day before I thought he was definitely going to be zoned in with his you know best stuff, but um, it wasn't, and neither was Sale, and you know. I think that shows how exciting both of these teams are where, you know, you have their two stud aces underperform and the game is still incredibly fun to watch. So I think uh, the, another thing too, I think, I don't think Chris sales, right. I think we're going to see off off season shoulder surgery for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Velo, it, it, may, it, it may truly just be inflammation and it may just, you know, shut him down for a while and he'll be fine come spring training. But um, it, it just doesn't see, he just doesn't seem right. And I think it's going to be to worry about, I think it's going to be off off season shoulder surgery between his arm and his injured belly button. He's just got a ton of stuff <laughs> to worry about right now. That's right. I mean, so it, so we saw so we saw kind of a surprise yesterday in the Red Sox with Eduardo Nunez hitting that jack just because he didn't have a great year. He wasn't really much of a postseason monster coming in, but that was a pleasant surprise, Caleb. I mean, going into this going into this game too, currently. Is there anything that is kind of concerning? I know Mookie has had a little, a small kind of rough patch here uh, in the lineup. I don't know if there's anything that stuck out to you where there's been not really a red flag, but just something that could be an Achilles heel for this Red Sox lineup. Um, you know, I, for the lineup, I don't think so. I mean, yes, you know, and there, make no bones about it. Mookie has uh, not had his best postseason. I mean, he's he's struggling. Uh, he's he's struggling a little bit. He's gotten on base. Uh, he got on base once last night. He's gotten on base. Uh, once tonight so you know he's he's struggling but um i think it's 
he, he's a ticking time bomb, man. He's just one of those guys that he, he can't be down for long. So, uh, you know, they only have a few games left for him to figure it out. But um, when he gets hot, he's hot. Um, I think the Achilles heel is going to be is going to be what we saw like last night in the bolt with the bullpen. Um, and it's going to be, you know, getting the ball to uh, it's going to be those mid innings, the uh, fifth, sixth, seventh innings. I'm not worried about the eighth and ninth so much. I think Core's done a great job of managing the eighth and the ninth in regards to the rover situation he's doing where he's putting a starter down there in the eighth and and it's been pretty effective. Um, I'm worried about the fifth, sixth, seventh innings. Those are the uh, those are the innings I'm worried about. Yeah, great setup, man, when you can have Nathan Eovaldi come in and throw a 102. That's not 102 a and a, yeah. you know, a, and a, a 96, mile, yeah, 96 mile an hour cutter that yep. moves a foot and a half. Yeah, yep. not, a, not a bad option out of the pen. I mean, and then you got Joe Kelly who can also, he's, he was throwing a filthy changeup yeah, last night. Just, he's looked great all the I saw it up close to that changeup. That thing is bowling balling out of his hand. Yeah, oh. absolutely. It's it is nuts. Or do we have do we have an idea? So we're already in game two, obviously. Do we have an idea of game three and four pitchers? Is it going to be Bueller and Yavaldi? Uh, Bueller is game three. Red Sox haven't announced who is going to be their game three. Um, and, and they they didn't even, you know, they made comments about it at the beginning of this game. They're not, there's, uh, Avaldi and Porcello are both in the bullpen tonight. So, um, there still, still hasn't been decided uh, and they're both available for tonight. So it still hasn't been decided who the Sox are going to roll out their game three. So, so, I, so let's, so let's envision, let's envision Yavaldi doesn't pitch tonight. So if we go the next, the next couple games, we're looking at Bueller, Yavaldi, and then Ryu and Porcello. I, I, I imagine Porcello will go before uh, Yavaldi. Before I think okay. Porcello is going to end up going game three. But he struggled, and, and he, he struggled and pitched the most recently in, in uh, Houston. But I, I still think he's going to go. I think he's going to be the one who, uh, who goes game three. Ryu's on the mound right now, so it'd be Rich Hill. Well, he'd go for three innings till his blister flared up again. For sure. Yeah. So Derek, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you redeem yourself if you cho- so choose. So a little bit of pick em action. Um, we've talked predictions already and we got game one under our belt and Boston leads. I'll let Derek start Derek, your world series prediction for the rest of the way. I'm um, sticking with sticking with the guns. Dodgers and seven. Jeez. Dodgers have fun. Seven. Have fun falling on that sword by yourself. Uh, Jonathan. Um, Red Sox in five. Ooh, okay. Caleb? Um, I have Red Sox in five as well. I think uh, I'm, I, or my initial thought, it's uh, 2-1 right now, bottom of the fifth. Dodgers are leading. My initial thought was Sox win both games at home, um, and then they take two in L.A., probably the, probably the last two. I think they'll lose game three. But uh, if they find a way to hold on tonight, uh, regardless, I'm going Sox in five. I've got Sox in six. Um, I think, Oh God. Oh yeah. Well, don't spoil it for Caleb. Uh, I've got socks and six. I think that they, uh, it's still, it's two, three, two still, right? Yep. Yeah. Two, three, two. They're they're winning at Fenway. I think they're going to choke game five intentionally so they can win at home. Nah, I don't think so. Uh, There's no, there's going to be no intentional choking from Alex core squad. All right. So here we go. We have bases loaded two outs, bottom five. JD's coming up to the plate and they're bringing in the Steve Pierce is coming up to the plate. Oh, it's Steve Pierce. Steve, you know that's crazy. This is a crazy what, story. Playoff this guy, Pierce, dude. Yeah, this dude. I, I don't even know where he was before the season started. 
and yet he was with, he was with Toronto. It looks he, like he's about to get pinch hit for if if Madsen's coming in, they're going to probably pinch hit more than here. Madsen, Mitchie Two Bags, who has three pinch hit appearances this postseason with bases loaded and it's gotten on base every time. Give that man. Well, he's got to get out at some point, right? Like that streak has to end. Okay, easy, and Mr. Dodgers fan. <laughs> just, it's got to end at some point. You so, Derek, can I, let me ask you a question. For someone who, who likes, has sale on their fantasy team, has J, or had JD, and is a big JD oh, this fan. Is gonna be, this is going to be an easy answer. Go ahead. What, why, are you, why are you so uh, hating on the Red Sox? <laughs> oh, I'm not. Oh, it has nothing to do with hating. It has. It has been hating. You hated against oh, them yeah. when they were playing the Astros. The Astros it's, yep. hate, it's hate now. What, what is it? <laughs> just me yeah. picking against them is not hating. Let's not. What flavor <laughs> hater rate have you been drinking? Is it, yeah. What is it? What's the, what's the deal here? It, it's the underdog story, right? Defending World Series champs are huge underdogs. Oh, I thought we were talking about the Dodgers series. I'm talking yeah. about all the guys. I'm talking about everything, oh, all of it. Clearly, because of Bregman. I mean, and I have okay, and, and, and so why the Dodgers? Why why underdog story? And they beat the Braves. So I'd rather see the team that beat Dude, the Braves. That's Evie. Evie. I don't strong disagree. I have a yeah, hard disagree. pass on that, man. Fuck the Dodgers. I don't so want hard. the team that beat my team that eliminated me to go on to have success. I want them to get their shit kicked in. Yeah, let me let me echo let me, let me echo that sentiment with if if I was like you know I want the Brewers to I want to see the Brewers succeed. No, I wanted the Brewers to lose in the NLD. That's like saying Derek, you want LSU to go on to win the SEC. I mean then. <laughs> Stop! No, don't even, no, you can't. I don't really care. Bury yourself alive right now. Please go ahead and say you have to see that. No. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, biggest. But this, that's like a rival, though. I don't consider the Dodgers to be a rival. It's not like I'm picking the team I hate the most. They just happen to beat. The well, Braves. I mean, who did the Braves play in uh, in the wild card game in 2011? It would, it, would, it would be different if I was saying, "Oh, I want the Nationals to go on and win." That's the rival. It's not like I have any interest. I don't have a dog in the fight, so I can choose to cheer for who I want to cheer for. No, I'd, okay. I understand. I just asked for some reasoning. All right. I, I got like you. I'm very satisfied with either reason, but okay. I was not. I was not. I don't, I don't feel like that's the true answer. I feel like that's a cop-out. But What do you think is the true answer? I feel like you're trolling. <laughs> who am I trolling? Trolling Me. the trolls. Why, why, would I, why, why would I have any interest in trolling you? Because that's um, fun. Because, yeah, because I'm an easy <laughs> target. I'm a Red Sox fan. You're an Atlanta fan. I don't take anything. Well, I mean, it's not like the Red Sox are my like a rival Braves fan. That what is that? I know that's why. That's why I was so confused. Hey Caleb, uh, live no, update. I, mean, I don't, I don't really Pierce, care about the NFL either. So. Steve Pierce did not get pinch hit for live update. I uh, know. I, I see that now. <laughs> Thank you. No problem. Um. So, uh, good banter. Uh, sometimes there's not always good banter when it comes to World Series. Like as in the people that are paid millions of dollars to provide their banter on live TV. Oh Sometimes God. they're really awful at it. And we're seeing that firsthand. It's Joe Buck and it's John Smoltz. In between John Smoltz saying, see, back in my day, and then talking about the shift anytime the shift works, and then staying silent anytime the shift does not work. Or Joe Buck failing to even watch the game and say, that is Christian Vasquez's or Sandy Leone's first hit of the night when he's got two or three. It's just it's it's awful. So thoughts this is all this is more back end stuff this is stuff that interests me because um how i don't know if you guys knew this i uh it's broadcasting back in the day but um, oh did you <laughs> great voice for radio this guy um it's not like it, it like it can it can actually like it can actually just completely turn off the feeling of a game for me yeah one of this this 
Magnitude. Magnitude. I was. Thank you. Magnitude. Yeah. So humble right. broadcasting, Brad. Oh my on words. gosh, dude! All right, so well, don't ruin it for Caleb. So Smoltz said on MLB Network, uh, I want to say spring training this year. He always really wanted to do the World Series once he got into broadcasting or commentating. And um, I've, I didn't get a chance to watch all of last night's game, but I, what I will say is about tonight's game, um, he does do a good job of talking about pitching methodology against the lift and launch era. Um, he's done a good job of talking about how, while the Dodgers are like the most patient team in the league, technically speaking, they embrace the three outcomes. So walk, strike out or home run and how you, how you make sure you want to pitch to that. Um, that's one of the few tidbits I've heard tonight that I liked. Uh, I saw a lot of y'all's comments last night about some of the stuff they were all saying that was pretty, pretty stupid, but I don't know. I think Smoltz, when he stays in his lane about talking about pitchers or talks about, the thought process of Stay a hitter. In the lane. Right. I think he does fine. He's really good at talking about back in his day. Uh, uh, Derek. Derek, please yeah, hold Derek so okay. No respect for the, uh, no res- respect the pause, Derek. Respect the stream. Caleb, um, have we, Caleb, have we reacted yet? Let's go. There it is. Oh, that's a very reserved uh, let's go. Dude, how, why already knew something good happened? <laughs> well, yeah, we, I'm a, I'm a Dodgers fan, dude. It could have been something good our, for the Dodgers, bro. Why don't we update bro. our listeners who are going to hear this after the game's over, but still. How, how Martinez how, bases loaded single. How worth it has he been this year? So worth it. The most, the most worth it. dollar. Better question. How worth it was it firing Chili Davis? <laughs> V worth it. Okay. Just needed to hear that as a Cubs fan. Thank you. That's all for tonight. Thanks for listening to get You mean uh you mean after you lose David Ortiz and then you um you have the least amount of homers in the league and then you add one player and then you lead the league in almost every offensive statistic. That's correct. So when when you do something bad at your job, kids, just blame millennials. That's what Chili Davis did. He blamed <laughs> those really darn awful millennials that came up and the Cubs pipeline who were the best hitters in the minor leagues. Just blame them. Yeah. Um, back to, yeah. So back to, wait, 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 before we go, before we go, that's another two out hit and RBI for the Red Sox who loaded the bases this inning with, with two, two outs. outs. Yeah. They had two that's outs, nobody on base and they loaded the bases and have scored twice, three times with two or three times, excuse me, with two outs. Yeah. And that was the thing that, that played bananas. That, that was the thing that played Kershaw last night. He forgot that you have to get three outs each inning, um, and that really hurt his start. So, I mean, I really don't know how they do it. I mean, yeah. it is well to your point. I think they're bored with the first two outs. It's just not. It's not fun enough to play with three outs. So they just want to play with one out and see how many times. Yeah, they it's score. like yeah. It's like just sacrifice bunt the yeah. first two batters every inning and and let's get to two outs and yeah. and get this shit rolling. Can I just take an intentional strikeout twice, and then we're just going to go after that? Ooh, the new new rule proposal for next year—the intentional strikeout. I think we should. I think we should implement it. Just yep. skip the. You know, teams can just skip the pitcher spot when it's not advantageous. It's uh, a. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan. My guy's can't, comfy. I just want my guy's cannot, comfy. I just cannot do that there. when Cole Hamels and John Lester are ripping clappy dingers into the bleachers. Clappy tears. Wait, doing that, folks. When would the, when would that be an appropriate time to use? Uh, two outs pitcher comes up and he's throwing a gym and you're up by six runs and you just want to get him back on the bump. Yeah, but then he could just hit a homer. Well, not all pitchers rake. And it's also for satire, Derek. That's when it comes into play. Ah, good, fucking good podcast material. And spoiling. not all rakes pitcher. So it wouldn't be good go. podcast material if there's no back and forth. 
You don't want all one opinion. Uh, World Series MVP, and then we're going to talk about something else. Caleb. Uh, you just saw, or we you, we just explained what he's uh, what he's capable of and what he's done this season, Mister Jumbo Dong J D Martinez. Jonathan, uh, Steve Pierce, he's gonna hit. He's gonna hit two grand slams. Yes, Derek. Does it have to be from the team I'm choosing to win? <laughs> it can just be whoever you think. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, if the Dodgers win, I will say, uh, JT, but seeing as that is not likely, I think Ben Intendi. Ooh, hedging his bets, folks. Yeah. Hedging his bets. You, you, you could hear, you could hear the, the strain out of his voice. He's like, uh, Justin Turner, uh, Andrew Ben Intendi. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going four hits last night. I'm going with one Marcus Lynn bets to bust out the slump. I don't think he's going to do it tonight. I think he's going to stay quiet tonight and then he's just going to rake the rest of the series. I hope so. I would love to see it. Things you love to see, file it under things you love to see. If that inning wouldn't have been as long, I would want to see David Price come out for the six, but I don't know if we're going to. Well, that's your World Series update of Game 1 and currently Game 2. We will have more next week with a full recap of things that have gone on with the World Series and then some. But now we're going to jump to college football. It is it's peak college football season. It's October. People are putting on sweatshirts, except for uh, in Oxford, and uh, they're continuing to wear bow ties and button downs. <laughs> they don't need that shit. But everywhere else where football is big, jeans and sweatshirts time. Also, also a big college football time as top ten teams are going down left and right. That's correct. Yes, and Tennessee is uh, still mathematically SEC championship bound. Yeah, they're still they're still a route for the Vols. So you guys just hold your breath, and it's gonna it's gonna come through. Go to Vegas, put your money on it. It's happening. So here's my question: If if all the teams in the top ten continue to lose, doesn't the top ten just not change? Correct. Pretty pretty much. So you nailed it. So yeah, well, I mean that in, that, unless, that would be realistic. In, well, unless teams in like the eleven to fifteen range keep winning and aren't losing. Then those yeah. guys kind of kind of slide on up there. Yeah, I mean, we'll go ahead and jump into. Uh, do you want to talk about game day first or the, one of the upsets? You we'll dude, listen. Game day yeah, I was say go hit Pullman up, dude. Pullman because because fucking college game day started at like five a.m. So, so Pullman, Washington, birthplace of yours truly, and the hometown <laughs> of game day this weekend was electric. It was amazing. Right. It was. I mean, there were like. I don't know how many people there were, but it was just massive amounts of people. And it was, it started at 6 a.m. local time. And it was just, I mean, it was crazy. There were so many flags, so many crimson flags flying. Um, it just, it, there was, it was the loudest game day and largest game day crowd to start out that I had seen this season and in a while. And I just knew that Pullman was going to be rocking for that game later and uh, later Saturday night. What did y'all think about game day? Derek, did you get to watch any of it? I did not. Ooh, I caught. Uh, I caught a good bit of it. I thought that you were with the, us. Of course, you caught a good bit of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, I caught some of it, and um, yes, I was with Will and Caleb. We watched collectively um, after a night of uh, drinking and good merrymaking and cheer with friends. Um, <laughs> you know, while others were attending the Chris Gapleton concert, we were having a pint. Um, just kidding. Chris Stapleton's pretty good. Anyways, um, 
Yeah. I thought that the coverage and the little bio documentary of the Crimson Flag, I thought that was actually really well done. I, I couldn't tell at first if that was going to be like a little cheesy or, you know, like, okay, it's just going to be kind of like a little cutesy flick by ESPN. No, that was awesome. I loved how they talked about all the events where it was like, yeah, we didn't have a flag. We had to fly somebody out of Pullman to like, well, I don't know where the destination was. If it was like San Diego or uh, like cross it was, country. It was North Dakota State, wasn't it? They had to fly someone like direct overnight because they so. didn't have anybody in Fargo. Yeah, that was wild. That Yeah, that was an amazing story of just like, Fandom dedication, but not like for a team, like like for uh, for the alumni association. I mean, that's who's running it. Yeah, yeah, the old Crimson Association. It's it's awesome, man. I think it's it's one of, if not, it's one of. It's one of. There's a ton of cool traditions in college football, and I'm sure there are a ton out there that that we don't even know about. But it's one of the coolest traditions in college football. Who was yeah. the guest picker? Who was the guest picker? Was it Drew Bledsoe? Drew Bledsoe. Drew Bledsoe. Okay, I'll I'll take. I would like give me that over like having like the damn chain smokers on to make a pick. Like they don't know what they're talking about. Like I don't, I don't, I could care less to see the chain smokers on or anybody, any other, any other music star. I'd rather give, see like yeah, a prominent alumni. Give me a guest picker with some real solid analysis. Now I will say there's been a couple, a couple country singers that have came on yes, that yes. have really surprised me with how much I know about football and not playing it in college. So that's been refreshing. But yeah, I love the Drew Bledsoe pick. I mean, they couldn't get Clay Thompson on there, so second best would be Drew. You know, <laughs> about and for Drew Bledsoe, it has to be a shining moment of his last like fifteen years of his life since he got benched by Tom Brady. Sorry, Drew, by the goat, by the goat. Um, all right, so college game day, I, Caleb. I would venture to guess north of ten thousand people. Probably so. I mean, I mean, it was it was actually it was fucking nuts. It, it was, was deep, deep. It was almost to the front gate of the stadium. Absolutely. Um, really cool to see. I always really like when they go to like Odson and they go out West because it's so fucking early and you see who the real dedicated fans are. Um, so it was, it was a pretty cool environment. Uh, I wish we would have gotten to see more of the actual game. Um, but it was, it was awesome. And I hope they don't wait 15 more years to go back. Yeah, I, I hope not. I mean, it was, it was cool and it was awesome for the city of Pullman and, and for those fans, I can only imagine, um, I can only imagine what it was like. What's the population of Pullman altogether? Like 30,000? Didn't they say it was 30,000 uh, and like 20 of it is students or something like that? I couldn't tell you. I know it's a, I mean, it's a very rural uh, farm town. So, uh, yes, 33,000. Um, <laughs> I think they said like almost two thirds of that is the, is the student population. So, absolutely. Good for the city, good for the program. And uh, the Cougs. Uh, Upset the, the ducks and down the stretch here they could be a problem. I wouldn't hate it. They just got um, they got to navigate the Apple Cup. Gardner, yeah, the Apple Cup against Washington, but Washington's down this year. Um, Jake Browning looks like he's he's not even the same quarterback he was two years ago. He looks like Nick Fitzgerald, just yeah. lost. Yeah, he just looks he looks terrible. Um, Gardner Minshew is came out of nowhere from ECU and just was going to go be a GA at Alabama and decided to go play at Washington state and is now in, in line for some national quarterback awards and, and stuff like that. It's having a great season. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be awesome. You know, they brought Tracy Clays in after losing Alex Grinch to Ohio state and, um, he's, he's kept the defense going and, and the PAC 12 is, uh, they're beating up on each other, I should say. Um, and, and I'm, uh, I was, 
I was pretty uh, pretty upset after you know seeing where they are now and then how they lost to USC and there's a bit of a con- a couple of controversial plays in that but uh, you know the the Washington State Cougars are uh, ranked 14th and climbing. They're gonna. I think if they if they navigate past Washington, they're gonna probably give some gives the voters or the committee some some stuff to think about if yeah, they win the Pac-12. Absolutely. Yeah, because they are <clears throat> good right now. They um, just uh, just went had a clean inning, one two three, in the heart of the Dodgers lineup, and he might get another inning. And just walked off doing his his head bobble. This is great podcast material, folks. You can't see me and Caleb nodding our heads, but David Price has been getting a little Swag. a little swaggy head nod going after strikeouts and big innings. So he was rocking it again coming off the mound right there. So yeah, the cool thing, the another cool thing from game day, and this will segue us into our uh, the bigger upset on Saturday was the story about the kid from Purdue or the Purdue fan who was uh, just you know doesn't have. Uh, he doesn't have the best uh, quality of life right now, and unfortunately, is uh, is is very sick and um, was able to make it to the game. And uh, the the Boilermakers showed out. Yeah, which was incredible. Uh, Tyler, I came. Tyler Trent. Yep. Yep. Um, that was a really cool segment they did. They kind of highlighted his journey. Um, after seeing the condition the kid was in when the team went to go visit him, truly stunned that he was able to make it's it. It's amazing. The game. Amazing that he was able to, uh, to make it to the game. Yeah. And it was cool to see him be there. And they, uh, even during the, during the game, they showed at, when they clinched, when they basically had it wrapped up and they won, they, uh, they showed the third quarter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Like nine and a half minutes left in the fourth. Um, it was cool to see all the players go over and talk to him. Um, but Hey, they even said it when they did the segment on game day in the morning. He said, "We are beating Ohio State," and it was awesome. Yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about just how lopsided that game really was. Ohio State didn't lead the entire game. They didn't, they did not touch a lead from nope. the beginning to the end of that game. Nope. Um, it was like what, between, 20, 21 to six, well into the third quarter, right? Oh yes, oh yes. It, I mean, it was just they just Purdue dismantled Ohio State. DJ Knox. The running back, I mean, for, for Purdue, he he broke open just in that fourth quarter alone had at least – I don't know if that's when all of his touchdowns were scored, but he had two yeah. that he had 30 and 35-yard chunks for for just – for just that was that that was the dagger. Yeah. No, I think um, going into the game – so a little backstory on Purdue. They started 0-3 this year, um, and they've kind of been just playing with house money. So they started 0-3 – but going into this week, they were three and three. Jeff Brom basically said "fuck it" and threw all concern to the wind, and was just like, "You know what? We're going for we're going for wins, and we're going to fall. You know, we're going to go out trying to fight and we'll do it live." Yeah, so fuck it, we'll do it live. He kept that mentality, man. I mean, they had well, they have a fake field goal, right? It was a fake punt? What they do? Ah, oh, shit! I, I think that I think that a fake field goal um, when they were I mean they were up seven at the time, but they had a fake field goal. They got it go down they score to go up 14 that kind of kept the momentum on their side and they from everything i saw it just looked like they kept just they kept making the ballsy play they kept making the ballsy call and it i mean should have paid off they beat them they pummeled i mean they absolutely pummeled ohio state and did you know that those three losses at the end of the season were by a combined eight points correct yeah they lost to northwestern by four eastern michigan which like Tough to excuse that, but they lost to Eastern Michigan by one and then Missouri by three. The Eastern they, Michigan one was because they missed a PAT early in the game, I think. Yep. that's I do remember that now. But then 
But then they went and beat a ranked Boston College team. They beat Nebraska, which isn't saying much, but they beat Nebraska. They steamrolled Illinois. Um, I mean, now they now they go and play Michigan State. Their their schedule coming up is tough. They play Michigan State, Iowa, Wisconsin, and then the Oaken Bucket against Indiana. I mean, that's that's a pretty that's a that's a good little that's a good Big Ten schedule right there. That's going to be kind of kind of interesting to see. Interesting to see how far they can carry that momentum uh, because that that's a tough gauntlet to run. But I, I don't I don't have it off the top of me right now. But I'd be curious to see what Purdue can still do in the Big Ten as far as like making it to a title game. Yeah, I think they're going to have to probably win two more games. They're not expected to win. They're three. And, they're three and one in the West. I yeah. mean, Northwestern's the only team ahead of them. And if I mean, so they they got it. They, they beat Iowa and Wisconsin. Realistically, they could go and play for the Big Ten championship. Well, and and fortunately, uh, there's a lot of friction in Columbus now after one loss. So Ohio State is going to fall. Um, you know back to earth and lose at least two more games this year because everything's hell is freezing over because they lost a football game. So you don't have to worry about them in the big 10 anymore. Hate to see that. Hate to see really, it. really the, hate to see uh, it. Ohio state, Michigan shaping up to be a little bit better game than it looked like it was going to be beginning of the season. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Michigan looked rough and now looks like a really good football team. And They've been winning games without having a fully healthy ratio on Gary. And if that guy gets fully healthy, that's a problem. Definitely a problem. It, yeah, they, they've, uh, they've come a ways since the, uh, since the Notre Dame game. I mean, their defense, their defense has looked stellar from season's beginning to now. Um, but Shea, like Shea Patterson and that whole offense kind of looked off in the first week or two, but they've, they've really settled in. And everyone yeah. loves to rag on Harbaugh. And I mean, and rightfully so. I mean, he hasn't really lived up to the expectations completely. But I think, I think if this is if this is the year that he, you know, he he goes and beats little brother, he takes care of Ohio State at season's end. Um, he can we can probably take himself off the hot seat. I'd if say. he goes and beats Ohio State, they're firing Urban Meyer. Oh, um, I, I, I that'd be great. I I would things. I want to put that under things I wouldn't hate to see. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's going to be interesting. They're just going to, they've done a better job of getting Higdon, Higdon involved, uh, and they've done a better job of getting to their weapons on the outside without uh, – they've had some pretty rough O-line play, and they've just – Harbaugh's been dialing it up a little bit better to try and compensate for that. So good on him to make some coaching adjustments. Uh, it'll be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see the, uh, the Michigan-Ohio State game, though. Also, quick shout-out to Appalachian State. Entering the top 25 for the first time in school history since being FBS. Very, very big. They have a big showdown on Thursday night with the Georgia Southern Eagles and some thoughts that the Eagles find a way to beat App State. They might get some other receiving votes for the top 25 at a Mm -hmm. 6-1 and record. You know what's nuts is if it weren't for that that overtime loss to Penn State, this team probably would have been in the top 25 like four weeks ago. They'd, if they didn't lose an overtime to Penn State, they'd probably be in the top 15 right now. Which is crazy to think about. But, tr- yeah, it's true. It definitely would have been. the biggest. So let's move forward to this coming weekend. Um, the biggest game on the slate is obviously it's Georgia-Florida. It's it's the biggest Georgia-Florida game in, in, in a decade, over a decade probably. Um, there is so much at stake here for college football playoff hopes for the SEC East, a ton on the line. If you would have told me a month ago 
this was going to be a top 10 game, I would have laughed. I would have laughed in your face. If also, if you would have told me that Georgia would only be two spots ahead of Florida, I would have laughed in your face, but it's going to be a top 10 matchup game days there. SEC nations there, Derek, as our only resident Georgia fan on the pod tonight, will you be there? Uh, negative. I will not be there. <clears throat> I um, think I've been four or five times, and I will not will not be making it this year. Give me your give me your uh, quick take on the game. Score prediction. Oh gosh, I have no idea. I, I, I do think it's cool. That this is the most hype it's gotten in a long time, like the last you know three or four years. I mean, the game is always fun, but um, you know, seeing really seeing see what so. you've seen from Georgia past couple of weeks, like with kind of their offense, you know, tailing off a little bit. Do you think it'll be a close game? Do you think it'll be a shootout? You know, what, if you had to make like a, a a pretty vague prediction, like is it going to be a thirteen to ten type deal, or you think it's going to be like twenty eight to twenty? I think it's like a twenty four seventeen type. Okay, thing. I think that's I think that's reasonable. To and expect. you've got the dogs, I assume. Yeah. Oh, dogs yeah, out, out of out of pure fandom. That's out of pure true. fandom. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, so you have to live with a Georgia fan. So how? What's the what's the temperature like there? How is she feeling? Temperature temperature cooled off significantly with the bye week. Bye week was much needed. Um, in between in between Notre Dame almost losing to Pitt that same weekend, this house might have burned to the ground. Um, but the temperature has cooled and. Uh, it's tough to gauge. It's tough to gauge. Humble bachelorette party brag. She's got to fly down to Orlando. Um, so she actually like, she probably actually expressed some disappointment, not like disappointment in having to go to Orlando and like Disney, but she was like, man, this kind of sucks. Like I wanted to be like in Georgia for the game. And I was like, well, like you want me to like text you updates. And she was like, Oh no, like we're all staying inside to watch the game. So like, oh, okay. Well, I don't feel bad for you then. Like you're, you're staying at a mansion to watch the game in Florida. She is, she is stoked. She like, she's kind of said the same thing Derek said. She's like, yeah, if you had told me that like these two teams would have been at this point, you know, like I would have never guessed it. She would have never guessed it. Um, like beginning of the season, it was just the typical, like, you know, Florida sucks, which I mean, I'll be honest. I don't really know who is, who, what team best fits their ranking at this point besides Alabama. Um, but I mean, it, it, you could pretty much flip flop Georgia and Florida with how they perform. So do you? Okay, so you've had unfortunately, I've had to watch a lot of Georgia games because of the misses. Do you? What are you? What are your thoughts on the matchup based on what you've had to see from Georgia so far? Uh, I, I, I think that I think that Georgia's offense is is going to rebound. I think that LSU's defense um, is is for real. Um, I don't I don't think much of their offense. Uh, you know, Joe Burrows is what he is. He's a 50% completion quarterback. You know, yeah. I, I just, I think that some poor decisions by Kirby Smart really threw uh, Georgia off the rails in that game. I, I think that kind of contributed to it. Um, I, I, I'll be honest. I haven't watched enough of Florida to know about both sides of the ball. I know their offense has been better this year than it has been probably in three or four years. Um, but I still think Georgia is the more talented team on paper. Well, here's the only thing I'll, here's my only counterpoint. Uh, you, your offense cannot be better when your offensive coordinator completely forgets how to call an offensive game. And yeah. if Jim Chaney does against Florida, what he did against LSU, it does not matter how much more talented their players are on the offensive side of the ball. They are not going to win this football game. So I think literally call it an X factor. It's going to come down to the simple fact of 
can Jim Cheney get out of his own way, quit trying to be the smartest man in the room at all times and just say, hey, I've got these really, really, really big running backs, these really, really, really big offensive linemen that can actually run three, through all of these defensive guys, and I'm just going to keep handing it to them over and over again until they yeah. stop me. Jake Fromm should not have to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game for Georgia to win. If that's your recipe for success, then you're, you're close enough to chalking up an L. Fuck, or if, he, fuck it, if he's going to do that, then it needs to be on third and two when he's throwing a two-yard slant or a, a rub route. Like, he's, high, he's high percentage when you're not asking him to do too much. He can th- he's, he's an accurate QB. You just don't need him pushing the ball 15, 20 yards down the field pretty much every time he's releasing the ball, which is what they did against LSU. Yeah, it, and it didn't and it didn't work out against LSU. No. It, it didn't work out one bit. They the longer the longer he sat in the pocket, the more pressure LSU got, and uh, they just they, they got from very early and very quickly. Yep. So so there it is. There's Florida Georgia. Other notable games this weekend: Penn State Iowa, NC State Syracuse. If you want to think much of that, uh, Washington State Stanford could actually turn out. There good we game. go. Yeah, it's gonna uh, be a test. Coons. Second to uh, last test of the year. It's at Stanford, I'm pretty sure, isn't it? it That's a definite Stanford. test. Yeah. Stanford it's at what? much of a home field advantage. I'll be Yeah, they only sell like what seventy something percent of their stadium. They, their first the first, that first couple games of the year, like when they played USC, it wasn't even full. It's kind of pathetic, but it's it's California football. Um <laughs> Not looking forward to Notre Dame Navy. I don't like playing Navy. I don't like the triple option because Navy does it well. Um, thankfully, the midshipmen are on a down year. Um, still year, a trap. So still a trap game. Always a trap game. Massive trap game. Um, but I don't see any major problems coming from that. Also, uh, Alohi Gilman, Notre Dame safety, Navy transfer. Uh, so going to go and sabotage the, sea, uh, the carrier, the submarine. <laughs> You get what I'm saying? He knows he knows how to do it. He's a former midshipman. So, isn't it looking become like a national security issue? Yeah, I think that's a bigger thing. He's he's probably already lost his clearance. Um, I think he's 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 told Brian Kelly everything he, Brian Kelly needs to know. Jesus, so that's a, a scary thought. It's a very it's a very scary thought. We we can't wait to bring you on getting tossed the uh, the up the playoff rankings that'll be coming out soon. So. We'll leave you with that with college football. We've got another good slate coming up. We'll get to college football rankings soon enough, uh, playoff rankings, that is. We'll touch really quickly on NFL. Uh, we're not going to go much into recaps, but the trade deadline's approaching, and we've kind of had some more activity compared to recent years, um, what with you know John Gruden being a head coach and all, <laughs> uh, among other factors. So what's, and, and GM. Or wait, no, that's just kidding. Still have coach slash GM. Decision maker. <laughs> fire, fire sale trigger puller. That's what we have right there. So we'll start with the Raiders just because it's just been absolutely ridiculous. Caleb, what have you, what, what you, we've seen from, uh, we've seen Amari Cooper go to the Cowboys. What were your thoughts on that trade? Um, I was surprised they got a first rounder for him. Overpaid by the Cowboys. Um, you know, I, I made the joke that if I was every other team in the NFL, I would go around and buy some cinder blocks and try and send them to the Cowboys for some Good first joke. round picks. A quality joke. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you know, going to a new offense isn't going to soften up your hands. Um, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, I, I personally think that it's going to really give the. Uh, 
it's really going to put more pressure on Dak Prescott because now he doesn't have the excuse of not having having a number one wide receiver. So can he be the guy? Can he be what he was two years ago? Um, or is he going to end up being another, you know, just another run-of-the-mill average quarterback in the NFL? So um, it's definitely going to be definitely going to be interesting to watch. Um, John Gruden is by far stockpiling draft picks and if, if you're a Raiders fan I don't know if that's the guy you want holding all your draft capital in your in their hands uh going into um you know going into next year and and again I think it's uh I think it's a little weird stocking up on draft capital right before one of the worst draft classes that we've seen in a couple of years yep. um, and that's not me saying that that is a ton of NFL scouts saying that there's outside of the top five picks there's zero you know, superstar potential that, that they see. I shouldn't say zero. There's very little superstar potential that they see this year coming out of the, uh, coming out of the, or coming out of college football. So um, it's not the best year to stockpile draft picks in my opinion. Yeah. ROI on that is going to not be stellar. Now, if John Gruden had his way, he would use his draft picks to pick up veteran free agents in the off season. That's what John Gruden would probably do. (laughs) So yeah. trade away all of your superstars on your team to go then turn around and go get veterans with your first round. That's picks. Like he's he's going to go find somebody that was on his quarterback camp show when he was on sports center and bring them in because of what he saw on his tape. Then that's just, that's just how the guy operates. It's crazy. Um, so I think the next biggest move uh, to touch on, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but Carlos side of the Jags. Are we think are we on the same page? Uh, out of completed moves, um, I would say maybe. I would say most surprising uh, yeah. is what I would say. Um, you know, Carlos side to the Jaguars. It kind of makes one running back situation that was uh, that was pretty unclear uh, in regards to Cleveland a little bit more clear with Nick Chubb being ready to take over the lead role, and then it makes. Uh, it makes the Jacksonville situation a little bit more unclear. You don't really know what's going to happen with Linda Fournette, and uh, you have T.J. Yeldon there, and now you have Hyde going to take carries away from from both of them. So um, I'd be interested to hear from a fantasy perspective, Derek, your thoughts on Carlos Hyde going to the uh, going to the Jaguars' backfield. Uh, that goes into my bucket of things I truly do hate to see. Uh, 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 being somebody that paid a lot of money for Leonard Fournette and then also got his handcuff and yelled in just to have him thrown into the mix just seems totally pointless. Uh, really hurts fantasy value. Uh, I'm not feeling good about it. I like that. That's good. Quick. That'll sum it up. That's good. Quick analysis for those of our listeners who are fantasy invested. And I think most people would echo that. That's a big time bummer for Derek. What did they yeah. end up giving up for him? Do you got, did you guys happen to see? Fifth round pick, right? Yes. Uh, fifth, yeah, fifth, fifth round because they traded both. They traded both Gordon and uh, and Carlos Hyde for fifth round picks. Yep. Shout out so. to Mac though for uh, really really going after Nick Chubb though and uh, coming through. I guess. Yeah, I mean, and look at John Dorsey. I mean, taking a, a play out of the Gruden playbook and stocking up on uh, round five picks. <laughs> Hell of a strategy. Well, so another another fifth round pick was exchanged. Uh, when Damon Harrison uh, was actually the second part of the fire sale uh, rebuild for the Giants, Damon Harrison got sent uh, out west, right, to the 49ers? No, the Lions. Oh, that's right. That's right, to the Lions. Which, uh, first which, fifth rounder as well. Fifth round pick for that. That guy was. That guy's a pro bowl defensive tackle. Yeah, he's, I, a, he's a freight train. He's a big I'm, old boy. I'm, I, I, I'm only repeating this because it's something I saw on Twitter. Like, I didn't just know this outright. 
pro like pro football focus had him graded as like the fourth best defensive tackle yep. in the league this year behind Aaron Donald, uh, like Grady Jarrett and who else? Just like a couple other, uh, no, uh, like nobody's probably, <laughs> you know, I, 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 a fifth round. I mean, I know it's not like, it's not like, it's not the spotlight capital that, you know, a quarterback or like a receiver would bring in, but I mean, that's, that's still, that's a run stopper. That, that is a, absolutely. Is a I mean, it takes the, it takes the lines run defense from one of the worst in the league to, to middle of the pack. I'm not saying it puts them over the edge, but I mean, they're definitely middle of the pack now. And, um, you know, in, in a season where you're starting to see some teams that we thought would be in the playoff hunt and, and running away with their divisions in regards to the NFC, that not necessarily, necessarily be the case. A couple of teams of uh, teams have stumbled so far this season. So, um, who knows? I mean, you string together, you know, three, four wins if you're the Detroit Lions and you're looking at a, at a wild card spot and maybe even competing for your division. Yeah, so this is, they, this is something that's going to become, oh, do we have a World Series update? No, I was just going to say Damon Harrison almost single-handedly shut down the entire running attack of the Atlanta Falcons on Monday Night Football. Yeah, like, that was impressive. Tevin Coleman had two big runs, the first run and the last run that he had on the day. He had nine carries in between for six yards, and Damon Harrison was in the backfield on seemingly every single snap. Uh, he is. Well, yeah, does that say more about him or the Falcons' offense? I think it's. I think it's, I think it's both. I think it's definitely both. But he was disruptive on Monday night. I will say that. Yeah, and I think that this is going to become a common theme for teams moving forward. You can you can go after you know a, a, a foundation, not maybe a, like a foundation player for your defense, and only give up a fourth fifth or even sixth round pick in draft capital right. to to get a year or two out of, of service out of a out of a quality player. And I mean I hope I, I I for one would hope the Bears recognize that. I'm sure Falcons fans would, you know, especially with how decimated the defense is or just all sides of the ball. If 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 Falcons could see, oh okay, well maybe we can sacrifice some lower picks. If the Falcons reel off a few more wins and and get to the top of the division. I mean, well, I know there's only a week left, but maybe if you win this weekend and push yourself to four and four, and you're right back in the thick of things, then who knows? Maybe you make a move from there. Yeah. I have a question here for for Derek and and Will, Falcons fans. Would you? What are your thoughts on say? Um, okay, so the the win, the trade deadline is what next week? Next week? I think it's that. Yeah, next this coming week. It's the end, it's Halloween. the end of the month. Halloween. Okay, it's Halloween. It's okay, stuff, so well, I was going to say, what would be your thoughts? I guess since the the Falcons are on a bye this week, aren't they? Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say, if they lose this weekend, about if you were to um, thoughts on trading Tevin for since he's a free agent at the end of the season you drafted Edo Smith because of that you've already committed financially long term to Devonte and I don't think anyone you know I don't think you're really going to benefit from trading Devonte you know trading Tevin to a team like the Eagles or a running back needy team what would be your thoughts um god's tough man and I don't think that necessarily Tevin Coleman's like a bell cow but he is more than Ito Smith. Ito Smith is a very little man. He is a right. great change of pace, third down, spell back. And I don't like maybe you let Brian Hill, the kid out of Wyoming, who's been now the third string running back for a couple of weeks now that Devontae's out. Maybe you let him step into that kind of heavier workload role and you just kind of forego your season. Um, 
that's tough for me, man, though. I think the, the, the Falcons aren't far enough off. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. If they, I mean, you're, if you lose again this season or this weekend, but they're on a bye, so they can't. But I mean, if you were to lose again this weekend and looking at three and five, or right, or what are they? What are they right now? Uh, three and four right now. Three and four. So yeah, looking at three and five, then that's a little bit different situation, especially yep. you know given your division. Um, that's a little bit different situation. So yeah, I, I guess that uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I could see it just in the sense of uh, you know, but that. As what do you say to your fan base if you you'd make a move like that? Right. You say that we're not going for it. And well, or you or what are you saying about like what your window looks like? Right. You're like, oh, oh no, no, guys, don't worry. Like this isn't rebuild mode. This is like mini rebuild, and we just realized we weren't going to be able to keep him anyways. Which that's an inevitability. But I think he's still at three and four. I'll say this: if we were two and four right now, or two and five, two and five, we had lost on Monday Night Football. Like all day, you trade Tevin Coleman. And I think there's, a, I think there's a few guys you look at trading, but I will I, give you the for, well. The first team that comes to mind who would need a guy like Tevin Coleman. Well, I, I guess I'd have to think of contenders, but like the Jets, the Jets immediately come to mind. Yep, Bilal Powell is going to be out for maybe the rest of his career uh, due to like a neck surgery. So they've got Crowell, and that's it, and Elijah McGuire. So the Jets that could be a great long term piece for the Jets. But again, they're not necessarily a contender that would maybe want to pay for Tevin Coleman. Yeah. Now I think that there's a few teams where it makes sense. A couple, a couple teams that are still trying to contend that could use them. Um, yeah. It'll be no, no. Sonny's back in a few weeks. Yeah, that's true. If that was season ending, maybe it costs yeah. too much for what the Patriots for the it, it kind of in season trade the Patriots like to make. He'd cost too much. Yeah. One more, one more trade to touch on. Uh, it's another Giants player. It's Eli Apple. He, Eli Apple to the Saints. Saints give up a fourth and seventh round pick uh, for the quarterback to shore up their uh, sides of the defense with Marshawn Lattimore. Um, not, not I mean, probably, probably low risk. You know, again, low risk, like Caleb said, for a draft class that doesn't have as much talent. The Saints are pretty. Are the Saints are without uh, what? They don't have their third round pick. I don't think they have their first round pick either. And they do get a fourth round pick back, so you know I think they're just trying to collect collect what they can from there. Or no, they gave they, I'm sorry, they gave up a fourth round pick, so they don't have a fourth round pick. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's interesting. Uh, I think it's interesting. The Eli Apple experiment in New York was destined from the destined to fail from the beginning. There was locker room animosity like right off the rip. So I don't I don't know if it's a talent issue um, as much as it was a fit issue. The secondary in New York had issues across the board, like outside of Landon Collins, like pretty much everybody sucked. Like Janoris Jenkins used to be a pretty much a lockdown corner and he, now he sucks. So I think, uh, he's still really young. Uh, he's going to go be with a former teammate, uh, Marshawn Lattimore and him are both, uh, Ohio state Buckeyes. And I think it's a low risk move to get a young could be good solid number two corner. I think what's probably the biggest thing is that they didn't make a move for Patrick Peterson. So that's like the last, probably like that we know of last like in pit, like pin impending move. That's probably going to happen before the deadline. And they didn't, he wanted to go to new Orleans and new Orleans couldn't make the money work, or I guess what they were offering the Cardinals wasn't enough. And so he's not going there. And as a Falcons fan, I'm fucking stoked about that. But I think you maybe have a little bit more boomer bust potential with Eli, uh, Apple, younger guy and high upside, but you know, 
Really, thank you for thank you for sticking the apple part in. Yeah, I uh, I, I didn't think Manning could play corner, much less quarterback. Yeah, like I told you guys, I thought I think uh, Pat Shermer went to Dave Gettleman and told him to trade Eli, and then he uh, turned around and traded the wrong Eli. So um, it is uh, not good for the men in blue, and they are uh, tanking, tanking hard. One last one last point. Here's a thought though. I think did I think Big Cat tweeted this real quick about the Giants in their tank season. What just rest Saquon? Yes, like, save him. Rest save his legs. Like save his legs and just you know just run. Keep, just keep you've got a, you've got another run. you've got another young running back you drafted last year and Wayne Gallman. You know, put him out there and just give him the rock and you know whatever happens yep. happens. But I mean, there's no sense in wrenching or risking potential injury with Saquon Barkley behind that offensive line. Yeah, you feel for Odell. I mean, I don't. I mean. Odell's not my favorite player. You might. Like, I don't. Do but. the same thing with Odell. Just keep keep having them have like little knickknack injuries and just pull them off to the side and be like, yo, y'all are gonna y'all are gonna sit and you're gonna rest and we're they're, not gonna they're wasting the prime of his career though. It sucks to see. Well, Odell's Absolutely. still Odell's still only like twenty four or twenty five years old. He is, but it's just I, I. I mean, the Giants front office though. I don't. I don't think they're they're not going to find a franchise quarterback in this draft. You know, so by the time they get one and develop one. He could be 27 or 28. Absolutely. So there's that. But the last thought I wanted to bring up real quick with NFL trades was, do the Falcons now sell high on Giorgio Tavecchio after last <laughs> after Monday's performance? Can they get a first-round pick out of him? The Italian Stallion? I was listening to 680, and uh, I can't remember if it was Cellini or Domino was talking about how they're like, yeah, I don't want to hear anything about Tavecchio. I just want to hear that he had a good game and that he didn't have to like – make some crazy field goal to beat, you know, a team as bad as the Giants. But yeah. that was, I mean, that was pretty cool to see. And like, I know like Mercedes-Benz Stadium wasn't like, wasn't like packed to the brim, but every time that guy made a kick and like his 56 yard field goal, the place went nuts. That was pretty yeah. cool to see. Um, here, uh, so here's your scenario. Former Oakland Raider, you send him back to Oakland and John Gruden's going to give you a first, one of those three first round draft picks. <laughs> And he would too. He'd be like, "Ah, right, you know, I watched this guy's tape, man, and let me tell you, he, he, he can kick." Yeah, uh, you send him. You send him and some vouchers for cheap free concessions at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for when the Raiders come to town next year, would and be, then you get a first-round pick back. Would would literally be a Gruden grinder because a grinder is an Italian sandwich. So yes, Gruden grinder. Um, one thing I don't think we brought up on the podcast is. Much of the Le'Veon Bell saga, and he didn't report this week. Uh, do the Steelers just need to go ahead and cut the ties before the deadline comes up? Is that even an option? Le'Veon Bell owner, what say you? I think they already came out and said that they're not trading him. So, yep. um, I I'm not trading him either. So, it's, <laughs> I was about to uh, ask, are you going to cut ties? No, I mean I've tried, I try I shopped him a little bit, but it's too late now. For me, in a keeper league, his value is too low um, to even to even try and get what I would what I would require in return. So, um, and plus I have James Conner, so I think it's going to be it's just it's a tricky situation, man. It's uh, you know I, I think he'll be back next week, and he may not be back till week ten. I really don't know. Week ten is the last week he can report. Um, and I think it's going to be, I don't think he's going to sit out the entire season. That's for sure. I think it'll show up four o'clock, maybe like Tuesday or Wednesday next week and, uh, and practice and that'd be it. Who's, uh, whose side are you on? Um, I mean, I, I get Le'Veon Bell's side and 
I don't think there's at this point you can't. I don't think there's really anyone. Yeah, you know, there's anyone in the wrong. It's not like the Steelers are like, look, we made it, made our offer. You can accept it, or you don't, or you don't have to. And uh, Le'Veon Bell's like, well, I'll come back when I know that it's when I know I'm not going to get 400 touches in the season and and risk you know my future career. I think now it's just like, well, look, man, the offer's here. You take it if you want it. If not, we have James Conner, and we're and, and he's kind of fucking rolling right now. So, uh, you know, it's your loss, man. You're the one who's who's being made to. Uh, you're you're the one who's looking worse and worse and worse as each week goes on. Yeah, it's like it's like the old school Steelers approach of you know you're going to play the contract you have in front of you kind of thing. And now from Le'Veon's side, I get it a thousand percent. He he's even kind of came out and said at this point now he's not even just doing this for himself. You know, he's doing this for all the other running backs like the Demarco Murrays and the guys who had their their careers cut short because they were just giving the ball over and over and over again. Um, so I, I see both sides of it. I don't know that I really have a, a, a yeah, I, a and it's true. And the, one way or the other. And you would ask me, you know, ask me week one or week two. I probably would have had a much hotter take than I do right now. But it's just, it's kind of, it's honestly, it's old news. I mean, it's like. Yeah. It, it be, and I think it's because of the way James Conner has been playing. You know, if if the Steelers are winless right now and, you know, they, they haven't been getting any production out of their running back position, then you're like, what the hell are the Steelers doing? But James Conner is playing well. The Steelers are, you know, they're in the mix in their division. They're not where I predicted them at 14-2 and two by any means, but they are in the mix in their division, and James Conner's playing well. And um, I think that has led to kind of Le'Veon Bell becoming, becoming a – um, a, a backseat story, uh, regardless of what ESPN might have you think. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be honest. The one thing I am surprised by is, is with as well as James Conner has been playing is that they have not changed their stance and traded Le'Veon. That, that's what I'm surprised by. He I, is playing I, I think so they've shopped well. him, and I think that they've shopped him, and, and he... Similar to what you're having happen in fantasy. Exactly. They're just not <laughs> seeing enough value for what they can get out of him. I mean, I think about it. If he does come back... And week ten through sixteen, and um, you know, you get him for the postseason, fresh legs in the postseason. I mean, well, he again. They, I think I'm uh, like ninety percent sure they can franchise him again next year if they so choose. Which is nuts. Yeah. Which is yeah. like actually nuts. So that really pissed them off, and I hope they don't do that. But I think that they have that flexibility. So even like they've got first rights to him, to him again next year if they want to. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens here before the deadline, and really before the season's over. I don't. I don't. I can't see him just making an appearance in the next two weeks. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna take a, something drastic. I don't even know what that is at this point. So so there you have it. There's your NFL trade recap. We're not even gonna touch the scores over the weekend, mainly because the Bears lost, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Um, Got to focus on sad things, right? Kevin White's totally back though. Just short. So there it is, and uh, we we wanted to remind you that on Getting Tossed, we are the world's number one NBA podcast. We love the NBA. We just think the world of it. Uh, it started a few days ago, and. Um, <laughs> There you have it. That's your NBA talk for, for the next the, three months. For the next three months, we'll get back to you when uh, we did have a brawl already, though. I thought that was pretty Ooh, cool. We did have a brawl. We did. Let's 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 talk about Rondo and uh, how he got called a turtle by Chris Paul and how that started the fight. R- Rondo came out and said, "I had my mouthpiece in and I was trying to talk, and then I accidentally spit on him through my mouthpiece." So 
Yeah, but uh, no, Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul threw hands because allegedly Rondo uh, spit on Chris Paul during a little altercation, and then uh, Rondo hit him with a nice left hook, and then uh, Brandon Ingram came in with some haymakers from the top rope, and, and a lot called State Farm, and, and a then, lot of people got suspended. And then in the cheapest shot of them all, out of nowhere, Glenn Big Baby Davis comes out and says that uh, Chris Paul is a horrible teammate. Yep. He was like, played. <laughs> Glenn Davis comes out and says, played with both of them. Chris Paul's a shitty teammate. Like, yeah, dude, well, you also haven't been relevant in the last five years, so you should probably just go yeah. back to your hole and just, be quiet. Uh, trying to stay relevant, man. Hanging on to those Doc Rivers coattails as much as you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 That was, that was, that, and that actually was the most, that was the most exciting opening a uh, couple, couple games to our. Uh, Incident for a couple games per season that I can remember. Yeah, also ESPN's stellar and in-depth coverage of every single quote-unquote new Showtime Lakers highlight and their 0-5 start that they're completely forgetting to tell everybody about because all they show is LeBron's three dunks a game. Tank for Kobe. Tank for Kobe. If we go 0-6, I'm coming back. Uh, yeah, and, and for those of you who uh, might not know, we have uh, pretty much a Bulls contention and a Hawks contention on the show. Um, and both teams are in full tank mode, except for the Hawks tonight, who decided to come back from 26 points down. Um, and against the, against the team they have a protected lottery pick from. Like, yeah. you've got to let them beat you. Like, literally, <laughs> just stop playing and let them win. You need them to not be in the top five, so they need to have a couple wins so they can be, like, the number six pick. Do not come back from 26 down and show real fight and determination ever, ever, ever. Never do that ever yeah. again. And as, as for the Bulls, Zach Levine looks fully healthy and uh, fully on, which is pretty cool to see. Um, however, Cam Hutchinson and Wendell Carter look pretty raw, pretty talented. But How's your boy Lori looking? Uh, Lori is hurt. Um, is he? Oh, yeah, he's, man. he's got like a sprained wrist. So, But it's perfect, right? So he's not done for the year. Uh, it's like six or eight weeks, and that was back in preseason. So, like, again, he can heal up. You know, he can he can just get totally ready for 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 their for their tank run by december and um and play yeah, some and really insignificant minutes and get them like two wins that's right uh, thankfully like though he's not going to be like laurie is not going to be like ben simmons it's not going to be like he'll be up for rookie of the year for the next four years it's not like that kind of injury but yeah that's uh that's, <laughs> that's a lot that's, of nba that's, honestly that's, 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 the most, that's the most nba you guys are going to get ever <laughs> ever again yeah don't uh Beggars can't be choosers. For, if you're tuning in for research. if you're turning in for the tuning in for the uh, NBA content, you've come to the wrong place. Wrong podcast. Because guess what? Once once NFL season ends, we're going to be talking about college basketball and Major League Baseball pitchers and catchers reporting. So don't expect much more. This is uh, this is as good as it gets. So we can't, however, wrap up the podcast without our patented toss sauce. We do it every week. Every week we toss somebody from the sports world just out of the, out of here because of something they did or said. Um, so we have uh, Merrill Hodge, former, like former sports expert, not anymore now after what he did. Caleb, talk to us about what Merrill Hodge did to deserve this toss sauce. Well, you know, not, not only is he former uh, decent sports reporter Merrill Hodge, he's now vaulted author Merrill Hodge and has released his book, Brainwashed, the bad science behind CTE and the plot to destroy football. Basically saying that CTE is fake and <laughs> that it's just a made-up thing by the media to destroy football. Now, 
This is the same Merrill Hodge that in direct quotes, I'm reading this direct quotes of an excerpt of Merrill Hodge. Uh, here's what people don't know and never see. They take me to the training room where I died. I flatlined. My heart stopped. As a process of trying to resuscitate me, I started to breathe again. They rushed me to the emergency room. I was in ICU for two days. It was after that I was basically trapped in my home for six weeks. This was because of a concussion. He That happened due to a concussion. Also, Merrill Hodge. Um, Hodge wins lawsuit against doctor. Lake County jury, this is in, back in uh, 2000, Lake County jury Friday ordered a former Bears team physician to pay former fullback Merrill Hodge $1.5 million for failing to warn him about the severity of his concussions, which, which Hodge said forced him to retire at age 29. So not only did Merrill Hodge uh, die due to concussions, he was forced to retire due to concussions and was paid reparations based on concussions. And now is coming out saying that CTE is fake and is made up by the media. So he wrote his own book posthumously. How do you say that? Posthumously. Yeah. Posthumously. There you go. So he wrote it dead but also alive, but kind of dead from CTE about the fakeness, the fake news of CTE. To me, this is just an irrelevant guy who at one point was relevant on a sports network back when it used to be worth a damn and is now trying to be, to force himself into a hot button conversation to, to sell a book and make a couple of quick bucks. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a bold. Uh, it's bold atrocious. Right well, your first and last bold, not cold of the night. The CTE is blurring his, clouding his mind and vision, and that's why he's confused and what content he's writing in his book. Yeah, it is. Uh, he, maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe he's just, uh, maybe he's he's just brainwashed, and this this what his point of view here in this book is just what Chicago Bears team physicians were telling him back in the '90s, in the early 2000s, to to keep him playing. That CTE isn't real, concussions aren't real. It's all in your head. And now he's brainwashed so much that he believes it. But what an idiot, man. Just well, what an idiot. Hey, just if you ever want to make news or get relevant again, just go ahead and call out medical issues. That is the best way to get famous. So, Merrill Hodge, you have been tossed. That is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the unofficial, official, soon to be yet not official sponsor of the Getting Tossed podcast, the Superior Dad Soda. Superior light beer. So that is going to do it for the big 3-0 episode 30 of the Getting Toss podcast. We thank you for joining in. We cannot wait to get to you next week and recap more of what's happened in this World Series, more NFL drama, and college football scores. So thanks for tuning in. We will see you next Tuesday. Socks and six. Go Socks.